It's good to be here this morning. And we're continuing on in our study of the book of Acts. And what's interesting, really, is that uh, Jason helped Brady give my introduction in some ways. Amen. Because if you notice, um, the title of the message is Bringing Hard Truth to Hard People. And uh, bringing, so that revival does happen. And, and remember, revival doesn't happen just in a vacuum, right? That many times there's sacrifice. There's pain, even, and suffering before revival. Or in addition to revival, because seeds have to be sown. And strongholds have to be brought down. And... Uh, and we have to intercede on behalf of other people. Sometimes when we live out our faith out loud like that, and we share what God has done for us, and we shared how he saved us, and we share his plan of what he came to earth to do for other people, I'm here to tell you, that is hard truth for some people. And hard people don't take straight truth lying down, do they? It's kind of difficult, and it's difficult being the bearer of that hard truth, that, that truth. And you know, you and I do that all the time, don't we? We do in our lives. For instance, you, you've got a guy walks out of, out, of, out of the restroom, his fly's down. It's hard to go up to a guy and tell him, hey, look it, zip up, your barn door's open, and your, your you know, yeah, your cows and your pigs are going to get going to get out so close the barn door that's hard to say you know it's hard for a young guy to say that to an older guy it's harder for an older guy to say that young guy it's just hard to say it to your friends because it's just uncomfortable but we say it right because bros take care of bros amen bros take care of bros say amen amen so if i'm ever up here with my zipper down somebody better tell me or i'm gonna hold you accountable for that but isn't it equally true, isn't it equally hard for women if women come out of the restroom, they got their skirt tucked up, caught up in the back? You don't let them just run around like that. No, you go up and tell them, hey, you need to pull that down. You know, that's why there's such a breeze going on right now. You need to get that down. And you tell them, even though it's difficult and it's hard to say it, because girlfriends take care of girlfriends, even when it's embarrassing. See, these things aren't, but these things are, are different hard things. They're, not, they're, they're hard, they're embarrassing, but they're doable. They're doable because they're our friends. They're not our enemies. They're not the opposition. They're not people who are hard people. And this truth is not necessarily confrontational. It's just difficult to share, right? But there's truth about faith that is, in its essence, just confrontational. Because it says things have to change. Things must change. You must change. It's a whole lot harder to, to tell your class in a public school, hey, Jesus is now Lord of my life. I'm no longer going to run after partying or running around and carousing or fighting or taking drugs. I'm going to serve Jesus. That's a lot harder, isn't it? It's a lot harder for a teacher to say, hey, you know what? I put this thing up here in God we trust. And then some student asked him, well, who is that God? And then you tell them that God is Jesus. And you know you're risking your job for that. But you tell them anyhow. Because they asked the question. And you were able to put that up on your wall. That's a little more. That's harder, isn't it? It's hard to tell your family. 
Some of your family who don't follow Jesus go to church. It's hard because you know you're going to take a lot of you-know-what from opening your mouth about that. And so it's difficult, isn't it? What about if you were to come up to a person of another faith and to tell them and say, I know you're celebrating, you know, this great festival this weekend, but Buddha was not a prophet of God, and he's not God. He's a, he's a deception. He's something that has been used by the enemy to cloak you from the true God who came in Jesus Christ. Woo, who's got the whatevers to go up and do that? Right? I had a professor, and we'd go, go, go around and visit different faiths, right? And uh, it was in college, and we'd go to different faiths and faiths that were other than Christianity, and he'd always say to us, now don't start an argument here. Don't start a debate. Be hospitable, be friendly, be personable, be respectful. But we would no sooner be in there Five minutes, then we'd see him off in a corner in a debate. And we're like going, I won't say his name, Professor so-and-so, be cool, chill out. You know, we're not trying to go into their house and win them, but sometimes you do. Sometimes you do. And sometimes God is calling you to tell them, you know, you're sincere, but you're missing the mark. You're missing the mark. Sometimes when you share these things with people, they don't take it, like I said, lying down, and they become your enemies. They look at you and see you as enemy number one. We don't have that happen much in our culture because our culture is so about tolerance, so about everybody have your own truth, and it's cool. But we're beginning to see more tension in our culture about things like that. But thankfully, it's not always the case. You don't always have to share this truth, and it's not always hard to people but sometimes it is. And in the passage of Scripture we're going to read today, it is. It is. God has lit somebody's heart up, and they're going into a place that does not want to hear the Gospel. But their brothers, their friends, their sisters, and this disciple cares about them. And so he's bringing it. But it's going to cost him. It's going to cost them. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to open it to Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 8, and we're going to read through verse 1 of chapter 7. I want you to hear the word of God. And this person wasn't an apostle, but boy, he sure gets a lot of play in the book of Acts. In fact, he gets to be showcased in two chapters of the book of Acts. In fact, his message that he actually gives that we won't look at today, because it's too much, it's actually the longest recorded message in the New Testament. Did you know that? And it came from this man who was not considered an apostle. I think he was a prophet, but he was an apostle. And so here his words. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, who performed great wonders and signs among the people. That's interesting. It says this, opposition arose, however, um, among the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, because he was doing these signs and wonders and he was speaking in their synagogue. It's a Greek synagogue. It wasn't just in the temple, right? And it goes on. It says that these were Jews 
of Cyrene and Alexandra, as well as the provenance of Sicilia and Asia. So they were Hellenistic Jews. They were not Hebraic Jews, like those are like most in Jerusalem. And it says that they began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And so they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and then they seized Stephen. And they brought him before the Sanhedrin. So they took him out of this freedman synagogue, and they trucked him right over to the Sanhedrin. That's the, that's the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the leaders of the religious community. And they produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. The holy place would be the temple and against the law. For we have heard him say this, that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, that is the temple, and change the customs Moses handed down to us. These people are peeved. Their whole life is built upon this. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. Their eyes were on him. They were ready to go. They were focused. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? Are these charges that are leveling against you true? Now Stephen will take a whole chapter, the longest message recorded in the New Testament, to give his defense and answer that question for the high priest and for those that have gathered. Wow. 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 As we continue... Luke takes us now, he turns things in chapter 6 for us. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. And he starts giving us insight into how the apostles in the early church had evolved, right? And how they dealt with, with sin and how they dealt with their first interpersonal conflict that they had. And, 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 they, and he kind of outlines miracles that happened, uh, that happened to cause the church to grow. And then he brings us now to the person and ministry of Stephen. Stephen's this Hellenistic Jew. He's a follower of Christ. He's full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And he was chosen by the church to work and to lead in daily distribution of food. That's what you're called to do. And you're going to do that among the Hellenistic widows. And he was happy to do it because he was a Hellenist himself. And these widows had been previously overlooked. But until this time, remember... The, most of the preaching and teaching had been done in the temple and had been done by the apostles in the temple and before the Sanhedrin. And now Stephen, this leader in the Hellenistic Christian community, he's coming. He's not just a food handler, but he was a food handler. But he's bringing the gospel to the Greek-speaking people in the Greek-speaking synagogues of Jerusalem. He's actually the first leader to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. It's beginning to move, do you see? The gospel first came to the Jews in Jerusalem, and Jesus said, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the other uttermost parts of the world. The gospel's moving now. Do you see that? It's moving now from Jerusalem and Judea. It's getting ready to move into other parts. And we're going to see that, even though we're not going to finish chapter 7 today, we're going to find out in chapter 7 at the end of it, 
that ends the first part of the church, and the church is going to begin to move outside of Jerusalem. And, and Luke's going to take us that way. And so here he is. He's evangelizing among the members of the synagogue of the freedmen. And these freedmen were actually slaves, or at least their, their parents were, their ancestors were slaves. And they came from slaves because back in 63 uh, B.C., many of the Jews were taken by Rome, to Rome, by the Romans, to Rome, and to other parts of their empire. And so they were moved out. And later, those slaves were freed. And so those slaves began to cut, make their way back to Jerusalem and, and to other places, gather and, and, and build up synagogues and begin to practice their faith. And it's these slaves that come to argue with Stephen. But it says, you know, Stephen may have been one of them because he was a Hellenistic Jew. He may have truly been one of them. And it says they couldn't stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. And Jesus had told his disciples in Luke 12, 12, he said that the Holy Spirit, when you're brought up uh, in trial against others, don't worry about what you say because the Holy Spirit will give you words to say. And Stephen was living that out. The Spirit was giving him wisdom, giving him words that his adversaries couldn't resist, they couldn't contradict. And so Luke is showing us this prophecy is coming to pass. This is what you can expect, and you can trust it. It's going to happen. So as we move on, what do we need to learn about how Luke is telling the story? What is he trying to tell us by the way he's telling it? Why did Luke devote so much time to Stephen? Why does he devote so much time to his message? Uh, why is he doing that? What can you and I learn from Stephen's example in bringing hard truths to hard people? He's telling us so many things by the way he tells us the story. So I'm not going to be able to touch on all those things. But I want to touch on what, is it, what does it take to bring hard truth to hard people? Because you and I face hard people in our lives. And God wants us to reach those hard people. God cares about those hard people. But reaching those hard people is different than reaching the easy people. Reaching the people that are totally open, it's different. So let's take a look at what we need. Well, first thing is this. As we find out that Stephen speaks as a prophet, he's one of the witnesses that Jesus predicted would come, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he does wonders in signs, and those are the marks of a prophet. So Stephen, you know, right away is full of God's grace and power. You don't want to go try to preach the gospel to any hard person without you sense you're full of God's grace and his power. See, it's not hard to miss that our author is telling us that, that Stephen is like that. In fact, he's comparing him to the apostles. He, he's doing a ministry just like the apostles. And his gospel is just as true as the apostles. And so what's kind of cool about it is you see that the miracles and the signs and the wonders didn't stop with just the apostles. Because how could it? It was moving into Stephen. And then Philip was another one that was chosen to be a food handler, right? But he has a ministry somewhere else. So God's kingdom continues to move. The same things he once did, he will do again in greater measure. That's what he's saying today. And that's what 
Luke wants us to see. You can expect this in your ministry. Maybe God is calling you, and on a smaller level, he's going to at times equip you to reach hard people, and you're going to play the prophet. And so do it in the fullness of God's grace and his power. So Stephen was full of this, full of grace. And remember what grace is. Undeserved favor, undeserved favor. Somebody's showing you grace, it's, you don't deserve it. It's undeserved favor. It's heartfelt empathy. That's grace. It's exuberance to show love and compassion for somebody. It's an internal drive. I've got to show them compassion. My heart is leaping out to them. I want to show them God's grace. So that means that you're full of his grace. And, and he was full of this grace for at least a couple reasons, right? Because, and I've kind of mentioned on them before, but you can write these in your notes. He too was a Greek, speaking Hellenistic, uh, to Hellenistic Jews. He quite possibly attended that synagogue before he came to Christ. His extended family could have been in that synagogue. He had friends there. He'd been saved. He cared about these people. And you know there is right now a connection that happens when you're connected like that with people. You care. You have more of a vested interest. And we're called to be that kind of evangelist to our family because they're closest to us. But will we allow God to use us as a prophet? But you know what else that Stephen understood? He understood that people who are survivors of difficult life circumstances, such as slaves, many times those people are what? They're stubborn, aren't they? They're stubborn people. They're slow to trust anyone other than themselves or close family or friends. I'm here to tell you. And they also have a chip or an arrogance about them because they made it on their own. And so they're leery of depending on anyone. And they're leery of anyone getting so close that they have to depend on them. They're leery of embracing uh, new change. And they're definitely leery of giving control in any way, shape, or form to others in their life. They're leery of those things because they're survivors. You know, um, they're like native Missourians. I'm sorry. They're those folks in show me state. Missouri, that's their model, show me state. Most of my relatives on my mother's side are from Missouri. And, and so we have some of that in us where we grew up as survivors. And we were very, very leery of other things. Kind of stubborn. We don't take things laying down. And we certainly wouldn't believe something just because somebody said it. it it's going to have to be proven. And so... He understood this. You're going to have to prove through suffering and sacrifice that you're worthy to be trusted. You're worthy to be listened to. You're worthy to be followed. You've heard me say this before. I had a sister that watched me for years. I came to Christ in high school, but she watched me for years before she gave her heart to Christ. And she told me, Six weeks before she was going to die, and she died at 56, she said, I've been watching you. I've been paying attention. I've been listening. And I want you 
to pray for me to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I'm sorry that I didn't repent and come to him sooner. Would you do that? Would Jesus receive me? I said, he'll receive you. But it took her that long because we were survivors in some ways. And we had to know and we had to trust. We had to know and we had to trust. So through suffering and sacrifice, you earn that. The men of the Freeman Synagogue, they told lies about Stephen. They stirred up the people. They stirred up the elders against him. They produced false witnesses. They besearched his reputation and what he taught. I'm telling you, it was worse for Stephen than being a teacher in USD 259. They were totally on his case. They were totally on his case. What would he do? What would he do? But you're going to find out. Stephen was a man of full of grace and power. And he would do what the Lord would, do, would want him to do. And it would make a difference for some of those people down the road. You have hard people in your life. I have hard people in my life that I love and care about. One thing we have to do is do what we did today. And Brady led us in and Jason led us in. The worship team led us in. We have to pray and ask God to pour out his grace to soften and open the hearts of these hard people. And ask him to do the same in them as he did in you. To reach you. That's what we have to pray for first. We have to ask God for that. And we have to ask him also, God, if you want to use me, fill me with compassion for them. Fill me with power to serve them, to witness them, and to reach them. Because it's, all, it's, it's going to take more than your wisdom. I tried to talk people into Jesus and especially in my family. I even put one of my relatives up against the wall like this and tried to witness to him that way. It doesn't work. And then when you do this, it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. Because our, wi our wisdom is not enough. And our strength and passion and power, that's not enough. It's really not. We need Jesus. We need a spirit to move. That's something other than human uh, power and ability to produce. That's what we need. And unless he moves and builds, the builders build in vain. And that's the truth with hard people. So don't bring hard truth to anyone you don't have compassion for. I'm telling you. Anyone that you don't desire to have God's grace reign in their life, ask God to give you compassion for them. Ask him to lead you and how to witness and to reach them and to disciple them. Ask him and follow him. And when he gives you that, that, that grace, when he gives you that power, man, then you're supposed to witness and reach them. You're supposed to lay your life down for them. But don't bring that hard truth without a tear in your eye, I'm telling you, and compassion in your heart. No prophet of God ever did that. We think sometimes they just stood up there and declared, Thus saith the Lord, and it was hard. Da, 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 da. No, they were mourning and grieved and heart-stricken over what God was going to finally have to do because people would not receive what he wanted to do. So be full of God's grace and power. Otherwise, don't attempt to give real truth to hard people. Don't do it until you get it. But if God gives you that grace, he gives you that compassion to witness, 
the truth to these hard people, then guess what? He's going to lead you to another step. You ready? And this is our second point. He's going to give you enough care within you to confront people with the truth. Okay? Even mercy-motivated people can be confrontational when it comes to witnessing. I'm here to tell you, I've watched it. It's not just the people who are eights on the Enneagram that are, that are wanting to fight and rumble. It could be anyone when he gives you that compassion because you do it out of heart of love. Amen? So I want you to consider the background of what Stephen was most likely teaching that caused his people, these, these freedmen, Jews, to criticize him and be against him so severely. And, and he was bringing them real truth. And, and truth sometimes, it seems that Stephen understood what, what uh, James Garfield understood about truth. And I've got this up on the board, and you can look up here. James Garfield said, the truth will set you free, but first it's got to make you miserable. And isn't that true sometimes? The truth will set you free, but it's going to make you miserable sometimes. I had folks confront me with the truth, believers, before I knew Christ and said, you should be put to death. They actually told me, they pointed right at me. The way you speak to people and your mother and father, you should be put to death and would be in the Old Testament. You need to change your life. And I went, huh, whatever, and moved on. I never forgot it, though. It was part. I needed to hear that truth, but I blew them off at that point. and would not receive it. But it was important to hear from a prophet because I had no idea that I was actually as evil and as bad and needing to be saved and changed as I was. It started to open my heart to those things. But I need to hear it. So the truth is going to set you free, but it may, mean, it may need to make you miserable for a while. Are you okay with that? Knowing that that truth, you'll get used to it? And let it, let it change you. So, the truth he was speaking was doing that to them. Because he's coming into their house. So remember, Jesus did predict that the destruction of the temple, right? And he declared that the temple would be obsolete as a place where people would go for worship and to have sin atoned. He said that in Luke 21.5. He said the true spiritual cleansing comes only through his death and resurrection. Jesus is the replacement for the temple. And he said that plainly. And that's a hard saying to hear as a Jew. Because Jews have grown up all their life thinking that the temple is the center of our worship. The temple is the place that we go to get our sin atoned for. It's the place that we go to hear the law and practice the law and read the law. And you're telling me it's being replaced? Well, yeah. Stephen, no doubt, was echoing these same things, telling people that Christ, that the coming of Christ, it's telling you the temple order is finished. It's over. The book of Hebrews is a great book that explains all that, and it tells us that it's over. And so really, in many respects, we're going to find out that Stephen was a, was a trailblazer. He was a trailblazer for the writer of Hebrews. God is not found in a place or in a system of worship, or in time. Rather, he lives within all believers. He lives wherever we are, and he lives through his spirit that indwells in us, the spirit of Jesus who lives within us. 
guess what? Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple, and you and I are the new temple. Because the God of the universe lives within us. No place is a temple. This place is not God's house. We call it the house of God. We're wrong. Don't call it the house of God around me. Because you know who the house of... Ron's the house of God. Nola's the house of God. Heather's the house of God. Dave's the house of God. Jody's the house of God. You're the house of God. It's not this place. This is just a tool of God. Amen? Amen. And that's what Jesus and Stephen were speaking. So these spiritual realities, it was going to make them angry. Think about that. In their minds, he was speaking against Moses. They held Moses dearly. He wrote most of the Old Testament. They, he, they were speaking against God, against the law, God's word given to us. To the Jews, these two things were the most precious. The temple alone, where we could sacrifice for sin, have our sins atoned for, where we could worship him and the law. That couldn't be changed. But Stephen was saying, no, these things have passed away. These things have. And the law, you know what? That's just but a stage toward the gospel. And the words of Jesus, they now supersede the law. Wow. And Christianity now will be the movement that will sweep through the whole world until the kingdom of God is established. Amen. And it's changed. William Barclay wrote that in his commentary. So we don't always get why the Jews will often get all riled up and spitting angry about Jesus and his apostles and what they have to say. But Stephen coming, think of it, Stephen coming into their house of worship, their synagogue of worship, preaching the gospel of Jesus. Think about that. That would be like somebody coming into your house or into our house of worship and telling us that everything we've trusted in, everything you've built your life upon, Everything you've built your worship upon is obsolete. How would you take that if someone came in and said that? It's not the whole truth. It must change. That's what Stephen, that's what Jesus is saying. So, not, so not, no matter how sweet and kind you package that, no matter how slick you make the PowerPoint, that message is a bitter pill to swallow. It really is. It's a rude awakening to those who are happy in the way they are and don't want to change or don't believe you and believe what you have to say. They look at you and they just want to say, shut up. Get out. Throw him out. Throw her out. Right? Wow. Think of it. That's what Stephen is doing. That takes a lot of cojones to go out there and do that, doesn't it? I'm sorry, but that's the truth. It takes guts. It takes faith. You know, at some point, a believer who is called to witness to hard people, guess what? They've got to care enough to confront those people with the truth of Jesus Christ. Stephen cared enough. That's why he told the truth. That's why he told the hard truth for them to hear. I want you to know that. Who is Jesus calling you to to tell the hard truth? To tell them, this is the truth, this is the gospel. We so homogenize the gospel sometimes in our culture and so make it like, well, it's just part of being a, a United States citizen, but it's not. Not in any way, shape, or form. 
Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Period. And you will find salvation in no other name, because there's no other name under heaven or earth by which people must be saved. Mine alone. That's narrow. Narrow is the way that leads to life, but broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many are on that road. I was on that road. Some of you were on that road. We are no longer on that road. It's narrow. It's, it's strong. It's hard. But people need to know because you're not going to be saved any other way. God's not going to look at you and just go, well, you're kind of a nice person, and, you know, you kind of, you kind of wanted, you liked our, our church, you liked Christians. That's good. We'll come on in. No. It meant too much. His son had to come and die. No, it's not that easy. If God gives you grace and compassion to witness the truth to hard people, then you're going to care enough to confront them with the truth of Jesus and how his truth intends to change and transform them. You'll do that. And you'll do this because you believe Jesus' promise to you that he'll be with you and you're confident enough in the Holy Spirit that he's going to provide the wisdom you need to glorify God in your witness to that hard person. And that's really our last point. You're going to believe, you're going to be confident enough in the Holy Spirit to give you the wisdom you need at the time you need it in that hard person's life. I'm here to tell you, you know this, I hopefully you know it, that people oftentimes need to hear about Jesus, they, people who study this, at least seven times. And on the seventh time, they'll be open to him. That's what folks who study this stuff say. Because people have to warm up to truth and people have to investigate themselves. I don't think it's quite that scientific, but I think there is something to the fact. Um, and so they need time and they need you. So you may not give them the whole gospel when you share something with a hard person, but you've got to give them part of it. Will you let God use you to do that? And they may buck you, they may fight you, they may want to beat you up, but you being able to take that in love and in grace and in mercy is going to witness to them as well. It's going to witness to them as well. I, I want to end with something since we're right here. And I, I do think it's kind of a tone that we have set a bit today. So I'm kind of moving things around a little bit. Believers, we got to be careful of our human tendency to cruise. Somebody want to say amen to that? We, we like being in neutral. We're so bombarded by things in life and different directions and distractions that we like getting into neutral. And, and we sometimes will hear even messages like this and truths like this today, and we'll, we'll kind of, our tendency will be that, eh, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really apply to me. I don't really have to act on it. Uh, I don't have to respond to that. It's okay. In fact, shoot, if I could just get real relaxed, I'm just going to take a little nap right now, and it's no big deal. Um, we do that. Um, well, I'm telling you, wow, you need to know that's not right. If you need to go to bed earlier, go to bed earlier. Um, I say that to myself as well, any of us. But if we take it with such a cruise-neutral idea, 
Look, it was never intended to be that. It's light. This is truth. This is light. It's supposed to come in and act like that. So if we're, we're not getting it that way, we're denying it. And we're closing our heart and our mind off to it. And that's not to our benefit. Uh, what we believe and teach about Jesus, what we believe and teach about his followers and his church, it matters. What we believe and what we say, it matters. It matters. It really does. And we have to tell ourselves that sometimes. It matters that this is the truth. It matters that it's the good news. The good news truth of who Jesus is that he came. And what he came to do to set us free. To make things right. To heal us. To show us how to live life right. He came to change our future. He came to die on our behalf, and He resurrected, showing He had the ability to do so, so that we don't have to live separate from God. We don't have to die eternally, but we could have eternal life. That matters. That's intended to change us. And if you accept Him as Lord and Savior, and His Holy Spirit comes in within you, guess what? That, that happens, and it requires monumental change. And it brings monumental change. Because you confess and tell the truth. You repent. And you let the Holy Spirit transform you into the image of Jesus. It's not just, well, I'm just going to have faith until I go to Jesus. I've got my fire insurance. I'm going to go to heaven, but I'm just going to stay pretty much in neutral until then. No. That's not the gospel. That really isn't. And that wasn't Stephen's gospel. That wasn't the apostles' gospel. See, so... At best, those of us who seriously consider who Jesus is and what he came to do and taught, at some point we should experience and be commonly experiencing soberness, nervousness, and awestruckness. All of that over God becoming a man and dying for the forgiveness of mankind's sins, mine included. And doing that even before he knew whether anybody would accept his sacrifice. What great love. Would you do that for somebody? That's awe-inspiring. We should be awestruck over the notion of the fact that God is granting us to become a new creation. That means a new species. Somebody different. And you really have to become a new species by having the power of the Holy Spirit come and live inside you. And if you don't feel like a new species, come to God and say, then I need your spirit to fill me and make me a new species. And show me that I'm a new species. That the old is gone, the new has come. Because I've been sitting in the church in neutral. And I haven't known that. So we can know that. And that starts changing things, right? And we get awestruck about that. Awestruck over the concept of being officially adopted into God's family. Did you know that? You got adopted. You're no longer just your last surname. You're now in God's family. He's officially adopted you. He's made you a child when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know, we should be awestruck over the reality of, of receiving the gift of eternal life because it was an expensive gift. I now live eternally. You do too. We're official citizens of God's kingdom now. We have all the rights and privileges and blessings therein now. The way is open. So at this time, if, if the monumental realities of who Jesus is, what he did, and what he said don't, don't bring out that awe in you, 
then I'm here to tell you, they ought to bring out the scared silly in you. They should make you really scared that you're not very awed by these things. He was like no other man. No one ever came and said, I'm the way, the truth, and life, but Jesus. He exercised authority over nature. He exercised authority over all other spirits with just a word and all other diseases and death, bringing people back from the dead and raising to life himself. He claimed there is no other way to get to God except through me, John 14, 6. And then he told us, and you will surely die in your sin unless you receive forgiveness from me in confession and repentance of your sin. John 8, 24. So if that doesn't make you scared, then it should make you furious. You should be stinking mad at me saying that that's what has to happen. You should be mad at the challenge it brings to you, his words, and Stephen's words. That you have... that has brought challenge to what you've trusted and what you've built your life upon, that somebody is standing up here and telling you that what you've built your life upon and how you're living it is wrong. That Jesus is calling it out. That I'm calling it out. That I'm saying it's false. That it's leading to a dead end. That it will mean sure destruction for you. But that is what I'm telling you. Unless you've been saved. That's the truth. And hard people have to hear that. Because you're going to stand before God and you're not going to say, well, Pastor Lannenberger never told me. Because I'm going to keep my mouth shut because Jesus is going to say, oh, yes, he did. He did told you. You remember this date? It was Labor Day, September 4th. Yeah, you had the new floors at the church, remember? And you got the stuff on the back windows so that there's no more glare up top here. That was pretty cool, huh? But guess what? You heard the truth. And you didn't do anything with it. See, that's the absolute worst reaction we can have. And I hope you don't have that. You know what the worst reaction anybody could have to the gospel and to what we say this morning? It's indifference. Indifference. To hear about Jesus' acts and his words and do nothing with them. Just shrug them off. Much later, the apostle John wrote this. He wrote what Jesus had to say to the church in Laodicea. And it's found in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. It says, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, church, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, exclamation point. So because you are lukewarm, you're indifferent, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He said, repent. Come on. Do what you did at first. And do it now. Because you're not going to get much more time. I'm telling you the truth. We see from our passage that the Jews from the Freedmen Synagogue, they opposed Stephen, didn't they? They stirred him up. They definitely were not indifferent. So they were, they were spitting mad furious. And they were furious at his message. And I'm here to tell you that God orchestrated this and told Stephen to execute a frontal attack on the temple and the law and the Jewish tradition because these folks weren't quite getting it. And they needed to if they ever were going to repent. And so he launches this frontal attack. 
and it had far-reaching percussions for the church and for Jerusalem. See, they, the, the church was popular until today, until after he preaches his message. And the church will no longer be as popular because the Jewish community will unite together in their different factions, the different factions of the religious leadership community as well as in the city, and the entire city of Jerusalem will become infuriated at the church and at believers. The time is changing. You almost feel like you're in a Lord of the Rings. The time of the church has do- is gone, is done. Or the time of the easy time in Jerusalem is done, and now it will head out to the far reaches of the world. They were infuriated. Now some hard people are really going to pay attention, though. And they can be reached for Christ. Guess who is from Cyrene? Do you know who is in there? You know why they have so much information about what Stephen did? You're going to find out later. There was a Jewish, Hellenistic Jew. His name was Paul. His name was Saul then. He was a part of this and watching and listening. He saw how Stephen witnessed and how he gave his life. And he was ultimately reached for Christ and used to the glory of God. God knows how to reach and love hard people. Yeah, they're paying attention now. God the Father, God the Lord Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit love hard people. Don't ever forget that. If you're a hard person, he loved you, and he loves hard people. And if you won't be reached now, at least some seeds are sown in your hard heart, and, and seeds were sown here in, in their hard hearts, that they would see the example of another suffering servant other than Jesus. Stephen, who is willing in obedience and in love to give all that he had and all that he was to reach them. And he did. Praise the Lord. I want you to stand as we close in prayer. And I want you to pray with me. Not only for the hard people in our lives, but that we would, in boldness and in faith, pray for compassion for those hard people, and then step out in faith to reach those hard people and witness to them the truth. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we just thank you, Father, this morning that you love hard people and you love us. We pray, God, that you would fill us with compassion and with wisdom and truth and ability to be witnesses to the hard people in our lives, wherever they are in our community. We're so grateful you love them, and we know that you want to do that, and we pray that you would send some of us to those hard people, and you'd send us equipped with power and with wisdom and with truth to be able to witness in the way that these hard people need to hear a witness. But God, we pray that you would work through our sacrifice, through our investment, through our faith, through our suffering, to bring them to Christ. God, keep us in prayer for those that are hard, whether it takes 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, for them to know you as Lord and Savior. Keep us in prayer. Keep us moving forward in faith. God, help us not to react to your gospel, to your truth, to our place in your great plan with indifference. Father, fill us with faith. Fill us with awe, rather than 
indifference or anger. Help us, God, to not resist what you're doing, but to follow you as obedient disciples, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our midst. We realize we only have so much time and space, and there's only so many opportunities to be your servants and your witnesses to those around us. God, help us not to miss those opportunities. Help us, Father, to play our role as we have time to play our our role because we know our time will end too. So Jesus, help us as a church, we pray. Hear our intercession this morning throughout all of our worship service for the lost and for our city. God, keep bringing people to Jesus. And we pray for these young people that Michelle talked about. Jesus, continue to stir them up to love and good deeds and grow them and equip them as disciples to help them, Father, to keep witnessing to their friends the truth, even though it gets difficult and hard. God bless them, Lord, and then, uh, Father, secure them as your own. We ask this in Jesus' name. So, Lord, we thank you and we praise you this morning, and we bless you for your word, because it always is a lamp to our feet and light to our path. And we all said together, amen. Amen. Lord bless you.